I was sitting there just enjoying the music this morning. It's time to get up and talk about what the Lord would have us to say. I want to thank Reggie and I want to take, thank T for their dedication, for their long service to us and for their support of all things 45th Street. Thank God for them. And I also want to thank our brother D for all that he has done for us. And I want to, I want to pause for a moment before I get into this message. D's been with us for so long now, at least 10 years. Yeah, at least. D this week found out that he had, he's gotten a promotion on his job. So we want to celebrate him for that. Yes. 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 D is the holder of a commercial driver's license and drives over the road and has for a while. But he's moving on up into management now. And because of that, yeah, <laughs> because of that, it may, it may affect his ability to be a part of our ministry here on Sunday morning because of how he's going to have to travel. We're not certain yet, but we believe it may be. And because of that, we just want to pause today to say congratulations to him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we believe the Lord's going to work it out so he can still be here on Sundays and whenever we need him. But we thank God, and we're just proud of you, D, because we remember before you got your CDL. And when you wanted to do that and see how good God has been to you. Faithful service. And that's a continuing theme we have this morning. I hope you noticed that all the recipients of the Good and Faithful Servant Award were also dedicated in the other areas of their life. There was no isolation in that. The ones who've been dedicated to 4-5 were dedicated on their secular jobs, in their families, in community organizations as well. There's consistency in dedication. And I hope you understand that that's what the Lord would require of us, that we continue to be faithful to him. And faithful doesn't just mean here at the church. In fact, it bleeds over into the other parts of our lives. Long marriages, long relationships. And the one thing that wasn't mentioned about uh, Doris Maddox was how faithful she is to Delta Sigma Theta sorority. Oh yeah, she has been de devoted to that forever. If you know anything about Doris, you know that's that tall Delta that walks around here. And so that, that, that can't go without saying, and to Tuskegee University, as well as the Moors being dedicated to Alabama A&M and Auburn, and Auburn, and oh, that's right, go HBCUs, and Deacon Tyrone Hall is a fan of that other school. <laughs> Auburn. <laughs> warrior, warrior, warrior. Dedicated though, dedication means something. Dedication means something. I want to tell you that. That's something you might not appreciate when you're young, but oh, the value it has as you get older. It's so good to see Alice Bailey here celebrating with us today. Yeah, it's a blast from my, my past since I grew up around the street from Miss Bailey and her family and her boys. Amen. She said she couldn't miss coming back to celebrate this a special occasion for us today at the church, and we thank God for that. We've been in a sermon series called Rediscovering Christmas because we simply believe that we need to get back to the original roots and meaning of what Christmas is about. Too often we get too far afield and we get caught up in the commercialization of Christmas and we don't get into the spiritual aspect 
of it like we should. Can I tell you this? If all the stores in our community that sold gifts closed, Christmas would still be here. If we had no eggnog, Christmas would still be here. If the Christmas ham wasn't on the table, Christmas would still be here. If you couldn't find chitlins, I'm told there's a shortage, Christmas would still be here because Christmas doesn't have anything to do with those things we've attached to the celebration of the occasion. Christmas is about Jesus Christ and him being born as our Savior. And so I ask you to make sure you are concentrating on the true aspect of Christmas this year. But that, you know, me saying that may not be sufficient enough. Let me, let me make sure you understand this. And the, word, the Lord has given me a word from the gospel according to St. Luke. If you know your Bible, you'll know that you can start out reading in Luke and the Christmas story from chapter 1 comes at you vividly. Vividly. Chapters 1 and 2 or where you want to read, if you want to teach your children, you want to give them a special tree, start reading those stories to them when they are younger. And chapter 1 begins stories that pertain to the coming Savior, although, although it doesn't seem like it initially. Verses 5 through 7 read thusly, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But then here's the problem. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. We'll stop reading right there. We're going to come back and talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they pertain to the coming Christ and how they pertain to our topic today. We spent the first couple of weeks in this Rediscovering Christmas uh, series talking about um, two aspects of the Christmas spirit. One is hope, maintaining hope even during bleak times. That's important. In the second week, we talked about having peace during this time. Everybody needs peace in their life. And I'm not talking about the peace like the world gives. Peace like the world gives is not good peace. It's temporary. Can I give you an example? When President Obama was in office, he signed a peace accord with Iran. So did other signatories around the world, the Iran Nuclear Agreement. As soon as President Trump came in, he tore it up and said he was not going to keep the terms of it. Man's peace is temporary. God's peace is permanent. The new president-elect coming in, Biden, said he's going to go back to the peace accord. And so back and forth we go because man changes his mind and different men come to power and decide to do what they want to do. I would ask you to pin your hopes on things eternal. And those eternal things pertain to those issues of Jesus Christ. 
How many of you have ever been to the circus? Some people will raise their hands if we were in the congregation saying they had, but there are probably a lot of adults who've probably never actually been to the circus. If you would go to the circus, one of the highlighting acts in every circus, at least when I was old, younger, was the elephants. I think we're just mesmerized by elephants because of their size, because they seem so docile, peaceful, even though they are so huge. It just kind of doesn't sit comfortably with us that something that big could be that peaceful and do all the things that those little men and women tell them to do. And so we're mesmerized by the circus elephant. And if you pay attention, or are nosy, whichever the case may be, uh, to them closely, you'll find that they have them tethered, the elephants tethered in the tent by a rope or chain and a stake knocked into the ground. That is a, a beast, a, an animal, that can move tons of material alone is kept in place by a stake and a chain. And I often wonder why is it that they're able to keep this elephant tethered in place by this chain in this stake. The man in me would say that if he wanted to, all he had to do was pull his leg hard and the stake would come up and he could have his freedom. And yet, he does not do it. And so in finding out why or how this is possible, my research tells me that when a, an elephant is a baby, the trainers of that elephant will take the same size chain and they will put that chain around the elephant's leg. And at that time, the elephant is not strong enough to move or pull the cord up. And even though he probably tries when he's a baby to pull it, his efforts are futile. And so they leave that chain in place day after day and the baby elephant tries day after day but after a while, as my picture shows you, he just stops because the elephant realizes, the baby elephant realizes that pulling the chain is futile and he cannot get away. Well, as the elephant grows to be an adult, the memory of the chain is implanted in his mind. And because his mind tells him he cannot pull the chain, it does not matter that he has grown to such an enormous size that he can break the chain, the tree, the wall, and whatever else is on it. So that's how it is with us. The enemy implants memories in our minds and allows, we have experiences we go through when we're younger. And just like the elephant, the, the enemy sticks a pin in that. And so in order to keep you in place, he doesn't have to nail you to the wall, put barriers around you. All he has to do is remind you of what you've gone through. And you, like the baby elephant, will find yourself chained to something that you could easily break because you've become more powerful than what's holding you. So to keep you in place, all the enemy has to control is not you physically, but he just has to control your mind. Okay. Okay. And as long as he got your mind, 
you do not step into the power that you have. Let me put it like this. You don't understand the joy you can experience in freedom because you still chain to the pen of your past. I hope you understand what I'm saying. You still stuck in yesterday, and so you don't understand the value of today and the benefit that you can have tomorrow. Somebody here understands what I'm talking about. Somebody in here is still stuck in high school because there's a pen there. You were brokenhearted then, and you can't understand that you've grown up bigger, better, brighter. You can pull the chain of yesterday out and move on into the reality of tomorrow, but you are still struggling with lack of today's joy. I came to talk to you today just a little bit about this joy I have, all right? This joy I have. Now, now, now that, 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 that we're going we're gonna to talk about how you can break free of that chain that's holding you, but it doesn't have anything to do with your strength. No, 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 no. It has to do with your faith. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with your power. It doesn't have anything to do with your might. It just has to do with who you put your faith in and depending on the source of your faith, you can move beyond the situation you find yourself in. See, the circus trainer has the elephant fool because the elephant believes the circus trainer is in charge. And that's because the elephant has never found out who he comes from. No, 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 no. He thinks the circus trainer, because he brings him food sometimes, is the only source of food. He thinks the circus trainer is the only source of water. And so he depends on him. And when he pins into his past, he stays there. I came to tell you today that the circus trainer has a source that he gets his stuff from. The circus trainer is dependent on someone else. And if you can find out in your life the source of the source you depend on, then you'll have a better life. Can I hear you? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. See, you are dependent on what you see. And that's not all that there is. You got to get beyond who you see and know who the true source of supply actually is. And once you find out who is the source of supply, then you can start to experience joy. But until you figure that out, you're going to be stuck there with a pen holding you down. Watch this, watch this. Back to Luke. Luke tells the story in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, of a man named Zechariah and a woman named Elizabeth. Follow me on this now. Keep the elephant in mind. That's one thing that the elephant has, and you ought to, you ought to walk with that today. He has a good memory, and that's part of the problem, all right? Sometimes a good memory will keep you traveling down the wrong pathway. All right, so Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people. Everybody say good people. Good people. He was a preacher, and she was the daughter of a preacher. Yeah, that's what it says. It says that he came out of the priestly division of Abijah, which means he grew up a preacher's kid. And then he went out and he married the daughter of a priest. All right? And so that was a priestly household. 
But not only did they grow up in a priestly household around all the things of the temple, the Bible said, Tyrone, that in addition to that, they were just good folk. The Bible says that they were righteous in the sight of God, both of them. Just good folk. But there was one problem. Both of them had gotten up in age, Alvin, and they had no children. And you need to know, if you were in that time childless, that was a social problem. All the women thought there was something wrong with you. No matter how blameless you were, no matter how good you were, no matter how long you served as a midwife, helping them birth all their children and helping them take care of all their children, no matter how much you were their play mama or god mama, they thought something was wrong with you if you couldn't have a child. How do I know that? Because the Bible is full of instances of that being the case. In the short paragraph that I read to you, we got the beginning of Jesus' birth without even knowing. It doesn't mention Jesus because Zechariah and Elizabeth are the parents of someone who would become known as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can make it plain to you. During this time, there was all the political turmoil that we see today. Romans were in charge. There was church and political intrigue around the temple. Times were bad for most good folk. People were extremely poor. They were living in a region that was poverty-stricken for the most part, except for those who had. Those who had, had, and those who didn't, didn't. Those who worked in the temple lived fairly good lives. And that's why we have Zechariah and Elizabeth as our focal point here. Because even though they lived in troubled times, they were good folk and lived decent lives. And so the Lord, according to the scripture, came to them in a dream. The angel Gabriel came to Zechariah during one period when he was serving in the temple, Anissa. He goes into the temple to do his regular duties. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him, Gabriel, tells Zechariah, says, Zechariah, your wife is going to have a child. Your wife is going to have a child, and your child is going to be a prophet, and the prophet is going to make the pathway clear for the coming Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but the me in me would have been standing up there big-eyed probably with my mouth open, wondering who are you, first of all, and why is you talking to me while I'm in here? Yeah, I would have probably messed my English up up in there. Why are you in here talking to me? I would have been afraid, even though I would have been in the temple. And Zechariah apparently was standing there like that, Anissa, and the angel sensed his lack of belief and because of his lack of belief, he told him, you won't be able to talk, speak, until this comes to pass, so that you will know that this is of the Lord. 
And so here comes Zechariah. He goes to work that day, able to talk. I'll see you this evening. Uh, uh, I'll see you this evening when I get home, uh, 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 sweetheart, talking to Elizabeth. Yes, mutton is good for dinner. Yes, I bring some milk back in when I come. All the normal things. He goes into the temple. He's visited by the angel Gabriel, who validates his own credentials by telling Zechariah, I stand in the sight of God, and I came to tell you this message. And then Zechariah doesn't believe him. He's struck dumb, which means he can't talk. And guess what? He comes out of that day unable to speak for the next nine months. He has to write down. People don't know what's going on. And that's how we start to know that the prophecy that was previously talked about in Zechariah, uh, uh, is coming true in Zechariah, that a Savior is coming. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting. I always wonder how normal people would react to stuff like this. Because we think it's just a fable, like it's just a story, like it didn't happen. But watch this. Elizabeth, his wife, gets pregnant. Isn't that amazing? This woman is up in age, she gets pregnant. And once she gets pregnant, once she is with child, as the Bible would say, she becomes a believer because she too has been told that this is a special child. And she says, according to verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. He's shown favor and taken away my disgrace from among people. Luke chapter 1, verse 25. Now, Luke chapter 1 has about 80 verses in it. It's a long chapter. Luke was uh, apparently very wordy in his writing. But what he makes clear is the psychological drama that's going on with these characters he has in place. Oh, yeah, he does that. He puts editorials in his writing, and he says that Zechariah was standing there with disbelief, and so the, answer, the angel responded to it. And he says, Elizabeth... Elizabeth believes that the Lord allowed her to become impregnated to remove the disgrace that she has felt. Now, that might not mean anything to you in 2020, but you don't understand how it is for her to be in this priestly line from her father's house and from her husband's house, and yet not to be able to continue that line with the child. She's struggling. And so she believes, she believes she is a disgrace. Not to mention the fact that her husband loves her and adores her, but she believes she has not served him well. How do I know that? Because there's a note in the verse, in the passage, that tells me how she was struggling emotionally behind this. According to verse 24 of chapter 1, if I can read it for you, it says that Elizabeth... After those days, his wife conceived and hid herself five months. That's 24. She hid herself five months. That version says she remained in seclusion for five months. Walk with me on this. So this woman, this woman who had not been able to conceive, who knows what had transpired up until that time. She may have gotten pregnant and not been able to hold the pregnancy. There may have been miscarriages. There's all sorts of things that could have happened to her. Whatever the case, she reaches this point in her life not having any children, and she is struggling 
with the fact. And so when she finds out she's pregnant, she goes into seclusion for five years. Why? She says to herself, I got to make sure this is going to do right. Before I let anybody else know, I'm tired of them talking about me in the square. I'm tired of them talking about me at the well. I'm tired of being the subject of scorn and, 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 and negativity. And so she hides for five months. Five months. It's a long time. That's half a pregnancy. She leaves. During that time, there's some other activity going on. Here we go now. Remember now this joy I have. She's had no joy up until this point. Life has just been trudging along. Not only that, can I tell you the real deal in 2020, how this would be read, what would be tweeted, and what would be on Instagram? Here you come with this older woman getting pregnant. She's married to an old man, and folks start saying, who the baby dad? Oh, oh they old. She ain't been able to get pregnant by him all these years. What's going on today? such that suddenly she can get pregnant by this man. That's another reason why she went into seclusion. Why? Because we know folk. And we know how folk talk and what they say. All this stuff had to be talked about. Oh, don't think folk just got messy in this century. Folk been messy in every century. Yeah, oh yeah, they'll talk about you in your face and behind your back. And now they'll talk about you on your own timeline. They'll do all of that for you. And so she goes away and she hides herself in a village, not too far, for five months. When I was growing up, there was, there was uh, shows that came on, t on TV, and they would show you a scene that was happening in Alvin on one side of town. But there'd be activity going on on the other side of town that had to do with the same story. And the announcer would come on the TV and say something like, meanwhile, on the other side of town, yeah, and that's how it is on this one. Meanwhile, while Elizabeth is on this side of town doing her thing, while Elizabeth is on this side of town in seclusion, meanwhile, on the other side of town, there's a young lady named Mary. There's a whole lot of activity going on. She's being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She's being visited by angels. And she, too, finds herself at a very young age unexplainably pregnant. There's a whole lot of pregnancy going on around here. Don't drink the water if you, ain't, if you don't know what's happening. It's happening to you. And so Mary finds herself engaged to be married, but her husband-to-be is not the daddy of the baby. She got a problem, too. Trouble. Elizabeth is in trouble. She's in seclusion. Mary's in trouble. And what does Mary do? Well, she does what people have done for centuries. They sent her to the country. That's what they used to do. Folk would find out they were pregnant in unexplainable circumstances or uncomfortable circumstances, and they would send you down south to have that baby. Or if you were down south and they could afford it, they'd send you up north to have that baby. And that's what happened to her. They sent her to the village so that she wouldn't be in her own village there when the baby came. Now watch this. I'm bringing this on home to you. So Mary leaves her village, and she goes to the village that just happens to be the village where Elizabeth is in seclusion. I bet you didn't see this coming. How do they get together in the story from Luke? 
Mary goes there, and the Bible says clearly that when she gets to this village, when she gets to this village, she's coming toward Elizabeth, who is also about five months pregnant at this point, or several months pregnant at this point, because um, she's been in the village for a while. She must have heard about her cousin, Mary, her cousin Elizabeth, which is probably why she went to the village. She said she got to be the only one who will understand, considering all she's been through. She must understand about this unexplainable pregnancy. And the Bible says this, watch this now, verses 41 through 45 of Luke. When Elizabeth heard Mary coming into the city, round, round the corner, corner into the city, and heard her greeting, watch this, the baby that Elizabeth was carrying leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, my Lord, should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Watch this now and stick a pen in this. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. The baby in my womb understood what was going on. This is the baby that the angel came and told us we were going to have. I have been given spiritual awareness that the baby you're carrying is not just any child, but that child is the Messiah, and that spirit is so strong that not only am I celebrating destiny, but the baby that's in my womb is celebrating. Why? Because Messiah has come to earth. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. And so blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will come to fulfill his promises to her. Can you imagine the relief that Mary had when Elizabeth validated the spiritual nature of her baby? There's nobody in the community she could talk to, no one she could share with, and here it is, her cousin Elizabeth has validated. Somebody with skin on believes me and understands. My folk don't believe me. My mom and daddy looking at me like I'm crazy and like I've been in the streets doing stuff. They look at me awful, and here I am. I had to come to the country for somebody to believe that what's happening to me is spiritual. My Lord, thank you, Elizabeth, for validating me. Thank you for telling me that you believe me. I don't have to worry no more about being misunderstood. All she had to do was hug Elizabeth and say, thank you for being who you are. Her joy was as real as the joy of the baby that left in Elizabeth's arms. Both of them were full of joy. Now, what do we learn from this story of the day that joy jumped? What do we learn from that? What, 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 what do we learn from the, the, the day that the baby jumped in his mama's stomach? First of all, we learned some real life lessons for us. Because some of us need to know that of all the things that Christmas is, Christmas is full of joy. And too often, we leave joy on the side of the road. 
Too often we let busyness, we let money, we let lack, we let all these things take a front seat to the true experience of Christmas. I can't tell you the last time that I felt, let me be honest with you, this kind of joy. Just to be honest with you, many times, don't, don't, don't raise your hand if you don't want to tell the truth. How many of y'all have gotten to the place where y'all just say, I'd just be glad when Christmas is over? Why? It can't be. It can't be because of what Christmas really means. It has to be because you've allowed the stuff that doesn't have anything to do with Christmas to take front seat in your experience because you don't have enough money, because you're tired of folk coming all over you. You're tired of folk begging because you know your children might be ungrateful because you can't find Tickle Me Elmo or the PlayStation 5. You just ready for it to be all over. And that's because you're concentrating on the wrong thing. Christmas is full of joy. Christmas is full of hope. And Christmas is full of peace. That's what this Advent season is all about. That's why we've been studying and reading every day in this Advent devotional that we've given you because we're trying to start the drum beat. Give me a drum beat, D. We're trying to start the drum beat every day. This is what we want every day. Every morning when you get up, we want a drum beat. We want a drum beat of expectation that today is the day that I'm looking forward to Jesus coming on Christmas Day. Tomorrow I get up with the same expectation. So let me give you these and I'm out of your way. Mary and Elizabeth in the village celebrating. Why? Because the pressure is off. All right, we know this is spiritual. We know that something happening is special. Yeah, we still both got to go through very difficult uh, deliveries, but guess what? If the Lord brought us this far, he's going to keep on blessing us. So look at this now. First thing you need to know is it's okay to be joyful and happy. All right, it's okay to be joyful and happy. I want to knock some things out that people have been trying to put on you. All right, people have been telling you, you can't be joyful and happy at the same time. I, you know what? As we grow and we mature in our faith, some people want you to believe that you can only be spiritual and be joyful. But if you're happy, that means something is happening. Can I tell you, you can be joyful and happy at the same time. All right? Of course, when things happen to you, you're going to have that momentary spirit of exhilaration. You're happy because something happened. It doesn't mean you're not also joyful at the same time. Okay. Yeah, they would have you to believe that there's a difference in the two. I came to tell you that in all the writings, there's no distinction between joyfulness and happiness. The words are about the same thing in all the scriptures. The difference is so minute as to not even be a difference. And so don't let anybody put you in that place where they start telling you because you're happy about something that's less spiritual than being full of joy. Don't let anybody put you in that place. I've come to learn that the distinction that people make is just that, a distinction that people make. There is no distinction between being joyful and happy. So watch this. Mary was full of joy that she had been chosen by the Lord. Full of joy. Elizabeth, too, was full of joy that God has shown favor on her and given her this baby. But can I tell y'all, 
if you had been able to take a video that day when they showed up in that village together, you would have seen two happy women jumping around, hugging one another. These are two women who are full of joy, but at that moment, they were just happy to be together. Joy is a deeper feeling, but it's not exclusive of happiness. And so don't let anybody put you in that place because of cultural uh, uh, divisions that tell you that joyfulness and happiness are two separate things. Watch this. There's a book called Happiness that was written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. And the whole premise of his book is just what I said, that it's okay to want to be happy and joyful, and it's okay to experience both of those emotions. He writes a whole book about that. And so this is great for a Christmas season reminder that joy is part of our experience during this time, and I want you to embrace the joy of the spirit. I mean, of this season. Sometimes we have trouble finding the right balance between our lives and between how our spiritual outlook is supposed to be. Sometimes we want to be more spiritual than life tends to afford us that time. And that's simply growing in faith. In other words, I want to be full of joy, but I'm broke. I want to be full of joy, but the people around me who I have to deal with seem to be negative all the time. I want to be full of joy, but yet there are too many painful experiences I have, too many circumstances that I have that prevent me from moving forward. And then when something happens that gives you that moment of happiness, you kick yourself again spiritually because you're only happy and don't feel that joy that you've had. Can I tell you? Stop parsing words. Take the joy and happiness wherever you can find it and grow from that standpoint. People who find Christmas to be painful need any moment of happiness that they can find. They need any experience that they can stick a pen in. Longing for happiness and joy is a natural desire that we have. And I came to tell you today that Christmas at its core comes with the spirit of joy and happiness, and you should not worry about experiencing both of them at the same time. And can I tell you why? The second point is because joy is your strength. Joy is your strength, all right? The great example that comes in the story of Nehemiah, I've heard of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the Old Testament leader who got permission to go back from the king, to go back to his his a city that was torn down, Jerusalem, and he got permission from the king of Babylon to go back and rebuild the city, all right? That was, that was Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes to rebuild the city, but what he really went back to do was not just physically rebuild the city that had been torn down by their invasion. What he also went back to do was, even though he returned physically, Nehemiah went back for a spiritual awakening as well. So it's more than just going back and physically rebuilding the walls. I also got to make sure you understand what it means to be within these walls, what the celebration is in these walls. And if you look in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, he brings all the people together. 
And what they found is something that had been missing in their lives. They found the law of Moses. They found the first books of the Bible. They had been long lost to them, but they found them now and they start reading them in the sight of all the people there. And it's so in the hearing of all the people there. And Nehemiah, in reading the Bible to them, the books of Moses to them, is calling them to remember the relationship that they had with God. Remember when we were his chosen people. Remember when he brought us out of bondage into our own favorite places. He's calling them to remember that because they had been in bondage for uh, decades and decades. And so when they come back to rebuild the city, I'm trying to tell somebody here who's struggling to rebuild their life. You need to go back and remember when you first met him. You need to go back and read and rediscover the relationship that you had with the Lord. And it's in the rediscovery discovery of that joy that you have, that you start to understand the joy that you've been missing. You've been stuck in a place that you don't belong. Hello, elephant. You've been stuck in a place that you don't belong because you don't understand the freedom you have by simply letting go of your past and bringing back the relationship that you had. As Nehemiah is reading the books of the Bible to them, Karen. The people start weeping. They start crying. Some of them probably crying tears of joy because they start remembering those words. I remember my grandmama and my granddaddy used to read that to me. I remember how it was when folk used to make me come to the temple and I didn't want to go. And now I miss that. I want that so much. And then, and then while some of them are weeping because of the sadness of remembering the people who aren't there, there are also people there who are weeping from the joy that they feel because they have been reacquainted with a relationship with the Lord. So watch this. The scene is set. Nehemiah is there. He's reading. And the Bible says this in Nehemiah 8 and 10. Nehemiah said, now, today, as we're reading this, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Why? Because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. Don't be sad, he said. Why? Come on, walk with me on this. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. On a day that the Lord is pleased that you're doing something, that's your spiritual strength. When you can show God that you're in faithful favor to him, not only is he pleased, you ought to be pleased too. And a pleased God is the strength of your life. What you want is for God to be well pleased with what you're doing. And when we're not in favor with him, he's not well pleased. So today, as we go into this season, I came to tell you, celebrate. Enjoy the season. Nehemiah tells us to do this. Why? Because it's in the enjoying. It's in the celebrating. It's in the joy that we find the strength of our relationship with the Lord. Don't let anybody steal your joy. Why? Because the joy that you have, the world didn't give it to you. 
And because the world didn't give you that strength, the world can't take it away. Somebody needs to hear me now. You're not going to find joy in a bottle. You're not going to find joy in a, in a, in a blunt. You're not going to find joy in the things that you believe make you momentarily happy. It's only in a relationship with the Lord that you can find true joy. The true source of happiness, joy, comes from the fulfillment of Christ and his mission to earth. And Christmas is the season of joy because the Messiah brought joy into the world. Watch this. Peter said it this way. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the result of your faith and the salvation of your soul. That's where our joy comes from. Not only is it okay to be happy and joyful at the same time, not only is it okay for those of us who are walking this pathway and rediscovering Christmas to understand that uh, when we're happy and joyful at the same time, that joy is our strength. But the last thing is this, and this is the power you have. And this takes me back to big elephant over little elephant. Joy is something you can choose. Y'all don't hear me. The power that you have given from God is the power of choice. God is good for us. We can choose how we react to our circumstances. Yeah, yeah, look, look. There are a lot of uses for the word rejoice in the Bible. A lot of times it's used. Not a word that we use often today. Not a whole lot of people come up to you and talk to you about rejoicing. You might hear it in the context of a church. Maybe we ought to use it more, but we don't. Maybe after today we will use it more. But rejoice is the verb form of the word joy. It's the action of feeling or expressing joy or delight. But watch me now. Walk with me on this. Go back to school with me. And if you look closely at that word, you'll notice that it starts with the prefix, prefix we. I mean re. Think back now. Grammar school. Grammar school. In an English word, in order to put the word re in place, that means you have already done the action before. And so if you put re in front of joy, that means you've already experienced joy before and you're simply going back to try to experience again. So try to remember, all right, what this word means once more. So you can return to it again. I hope you understand that in order to rejoice, you first have to have had joy in your life before. So it's a choice, an action you can make to move back to joy and experience it again. It's a return to the source of the joy so you can fill up with it. Look, I believe, I believe that that's the only way we can find true delight and satisfaction in this in this season is that we rejoice again. I know, you know, that when re comes in, that's when we got to return every day 
every day, constantly to Jesus. He's the source of our joy. It's why in our process of refueling our tank or restoring our strength or renewing our spirits or reconnecting with the Savior, we understand what the source of our joy is. And we know that it wasn't a job that gave us joy. It was the Jesus who gave us the job. We know it wasn't just the family that brings us joy, but we first learned how to celebrate the God who gave us the family that we find our support in. It wasn't just the friends who gave us the joy, but it's the God who connected us to the friends who we now find joy in. It's not just 4-5 that we find joy in, but it's the God that led us to 4-5 so we could experience these relationships. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. It was Christ who gave it to me. The Apostle James' words make sense now. He said, I got to consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever I'm facing any circumstances, it can be trials because I know that even when I'm tested in my faith, even when I'm tested in my faith, there's a reason for me being tested. Why? Because that testing of my faith will produce perseverance. And then perseverance is going to complete a good work so that I can be more mature and complete and I won't lack anything. That's what Jesus' brother said. Joy can feel so far away during this time, but you have a choice. You have a choice today to Claim it again, and I came to tell you today, rejoice in the name of the Lord. Why? Because it's the joy of the Lord that gives you strength to keep on going. My Lord loves you today. My Lord has been faithful to you. He's never stopped giving you his love. And in his love, there's fullness of joy. Came to celebrate with you today. I came to remind you that he's still the reason for the season. I hope you'll celebrate the rest of the season in the spirit that it was given. I hear you back here drumming it up. I know I got to get out of this sermon, but I just can't let it go this morning. Why? Because I'm so glad I'm rejoicing in the name of the Lord. He's been good to us. Have you ever tried? Look, you can't rejoice in him if you've never accepted him the first time. Only those of us who have accepted him and know him as our Savior can renew that spirit. But if you've never done it before, here's a chance. Bow your head, pray with me and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. And then I know that was one point that I might have had a right spirit. Renew that, Lord, so that I can be in you, united, and then carry me forward in a relationship so that not only are you my savior, you're also my Lord. I love you. I'm expecting a celebration of you during this season. And I'm lifting this in your holy and matchless name. In Jesus' name, we've come to celebrate with you this morning. God bless you. 